I ordained the first gay man who was open and honest about being a gay man and who lived openly with a partner in 1989. There was enormous negative reaction around the world. If a trans person can be a bishop, then it means there's literally no type of body that can't be a faithful person. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Our news wrap crew is taking off for the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. They'll catch you up on events in or affecting the international queer community next week. This week, we celebrate the lives and work of three queer or allied Christian faith leaders, two who passed away this year, and a third who is very much alive and seriously kicking. If there's something to be learned, from examining the past It's that institutions change Or else they do not last Episcopal firebrand the Right Reverend John Shelby Spong led his church's procession to inclusion first as an anti-segregation activist, then as a supporter of women's rights, and finally as a proponent of LGBTQ ordination and marriage equality. In 2001, the former Bishop of Newark, New Jersey, visited Australia on tour for his autobiography, Here I Stand, My Struggle for a Christianity of Integrity, Love, and Equality. He was interviewed there by This Way Out Brisbane correspondent John Frame. Bishop John Shelby Spong, you're here visiting Australia, you're involved with the Anglican Church, and you're considered to be controversial, and it seems to me that you're controversial because you accept people who love. I think that's right. I think Jesus was rather controversial. Remember, they put him to death for his witness. Uh, I don't understand how one can be a Christian and discriminate against anybody. Uh, and yet in the history of the church, we've discriminated against people of color, we've discriminated against mentally ill people, we've discriminated against left-handed people, we've discriminated against women, and we're still discriminating against gay and lesbian people. And, and my hope is that we can strike a blow for freedom and not allow that to happen. That is not in touch with who the God I meet in Jesus is. I grew up in an evangelical Anglican church in the southern part of the United States, and that church taught me that segregation was the will of God. It taught me that women were second-class citizens who couldn't be priests or bishops. It taught me that Jewish people were evil and all other religions were not to be respected. Only Christianity was a respectable religion. And it taught me that homosexual people were evil or mentally sick and needed to be cured or converted. And it was interesting that every time one of those prejudices was being discussed, the Bible was quoted to prove that the prejudice was right. So you have to fight against this attitude and then you have to fight against the Bible being quoted to support these prejudices. And I also came from being a very male chauvinist into supporting women in every area of the church's life. And I'm very proud that my branch of the Anglican Church today has nine women bishops. And more than 50% of our future clergy studying for the priesthood today are women. And I'm very proud that I've led my church into a new understanding of 
Jewish-Christian relations. And I hope into a better understanding of how you appreciate Buddhists and Hindus and, and Muslims and the other great religions of the world. And my, when I retired as Bishop of the Diocese of Newark just last year, 35 of my clergy were out of the closet gay and lesbian priests. 31 of them lived openly with their partners, and I've yet to have a complaint. Uh, in the last general convention of our church in America, uh, by about a 75% majority, our church voted that we must reach out and support what they call non-traditional unions. That's code language, but that really meant gay and lesbian uh, people. So it's an enormous step forward. I ordained the first gay man who was open and honest about being a gay man and who lived openly with a partner in 1989. There was enormous negative reaction around the world, but we set about to change the attitude and uh, we've, we've changed that attitude. There are gay clergy very open in the United States today, and I'm very proud of that. I hope that's, uh, I hope that's a mark of what it will be throughout the church. We have gay clergy all over the church today, but they're not all honest. And I would bet that in the history of the Christian faith, more than 50% of all the ordained people, popes, cardinals, archbishops, bishops, priests, pastors, I would bet that more than 50% of them have been gay men. I think they've made an enormous contribution to the life of the church, and I think the church ought to honor that and wake up and stop denigrating it. You say that gays and lesbians have fallen from God's grace and tacitly you sanction all the violence that we face. You distort the Bible's words to support your platitudes. But bigotry is not a very Christian attitude. The fact is that there are a large number of gay people in the priesthood of the Catholic and Anglican churches, many of them closeted and many of them quite homophobic in their public stances. I find that intolerable, but I'm not in favor of outing people. I think people have the right to announce who they are in whatever way they wish. But I must tell you, when people use their closets as a place to attack other gay and lesbian people, uh, I think that they are treading on very thin ice. We still have groups connected with churches that say they are in the business of changing gay people so that, that they will become heterosexual. There's not a, a bit of scientific data to support that point of view. And, and I think that's fraudulent. I think what they're really doing is treading on the prejudices and the fears of people. You know, we used to tie the left hands of little children behind their backs so they'd grow up to be normal, right-handed people. We didn't understand the variety of humanity. That's what the church needs to recognize. I see no evidence that gay and lesbian people can be changed or ought to be changed as part of God's creation. We don't try to change left-handed people anymore. We ought not to try to change uh, homosexual people. I remember when a, when a program was being done on the United, in the United States on me by 60 Minutes that this woman, one of my critics, was being interviewed and it was really kind of funny. She said that all homosexuals ought to submit themselves to Jesus and be cured. And the person interviewing her said, do you think you could be changed into being a homosexual? And I don't think she'd ever confronted that question before and so she looked like a deer caught in somebody's headlights and she sort of twisted in the wind there for a minute and then tried to change the subject. It's, but you know, it's that sort of irrationality. Prejudice is always irrational. 
Thank you very much, Bishop Spong. It's a pleasure to be with you. As the clergy and parishioners who are still inside the closet support this persecution, even if they do not cause it. Brisbane correspondent John Frame interviewed Bishop John Shelby Spong in 2001. Bishop Spong died this year on September 12th. I'm Reverend Troy Perry. And this is Bishop Gene Robinson. And I'm listening to This Way Out. The international LGBTQ radio magazine. It really takes a weight off when you take on a really big, impossible job to know that you accomplish something just by existing. Consider the existence of a transgender bishop. But first, we honor another queer Christianity icon we lost in September, one who was born this way and then called that way. Archbishop Carl Bean was known around the world for his 1978 hit song, I Was Born This Way, which inspired the similarly titled hit by Lady Gaga. Bean's recording career actually began four years earlier when he formed the R&B gospel mixing group Universal Love. Although Bean says that the group was ahead of the curve, he drew the attention of the Motown producers who matched him with the Bunny Jones song that had previously been recorded by Valentino. Despite the success of I Was Born This Way, Bean turned down a Motown career and moved to a different calling. Ordained in 1982, he became the founding prelate of a network of African-American LGBTQ churches, Unity Fellowship. Although the way he describes it in one sermon, it was not a very different calling at all. My first sermon wasn't from here. The first sermon God gave me to give to the world said, I'm walking through life in nature's disguise. You laugh at me, you criticize because I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm gay. And your fault is a fact I was born this way. You love me and I love you. And together ain't no telling what we'll do. I'm happy, happy, and gay. I was born 
from the little bitty boy, from the little bitty boy. I was born this way. Help me, Lord. That's truly the first sermon. God spoke that to folk in Paris, in Germany, all over the world. God started this in the recording studio at a microphone, not at baptism or communion. Archbishop Carl Bean, rest in power. This is Philip Brown from the Metropolitan Community Church in Cologne, Germany. Und ihr hört gerade This Way Out, das internationale LSBTI Radiomagazin. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month, some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. And please remember This Way Out on hashtag Giving Tuesday, November 30th. Reverend Megan Rohr made history this year when they were installed as the first transgender bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the first trans bishop of a mainstream U.S. Christian denomination, and probably the first in the world. They talked about their journey to the milestone with Eric Jansen of Out in the Bay, Queer Radio from San Francisco. You were extraordinarily ordained as pastor in 2006. What does that mean? I was ordained breaking the contemporary rules of the church, which at the time there was a 20-year period of kind of don't ask, don't tell in the American Lutheran Church where they kind of put hurdles in front of LGBTQ folk who were trying to serve. And I was ordained using a set of rules from the 1500s from the time of period of the Reformation because part of the reason Luther and some other Protestants left the Catholic Church is they thought that sometimes when people are not called to celibacy, that it leads to clergy misconduct, and they didn't want that to continue. So they'd rather you had a public marriage and that your relationships could be out in the open than to, to deal with kind of the social issues that come from when your marriages aren't out in the open. So I got ordained when four congregations in San Francisco voted that I should be a pastor. And then in 2009, the National Lutheran Church decided to no longer put hurdles in front of LGBTQ folk and to celebrate them and welcome them in all of the leadership roles of the church. And so I had a service to try to make me ordinary. I don't know if it took, but. <laughs> okay. Your installation was held at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco in September. Tell us a little bit about that ceremony. What was that moment like for you? 
It was an amazing space. It's an, a lovely echoey sanctuary, kind of like where I am today. And over a hundred, maybe 200 clergy folk all marching into the church service with festival organs and smells and bells. Grace Cathedral was an amazing place to have a worship uh, service, particularly if people around the world are watching and they think what's happening is new or or queer in some sort of way, to use the old-fashioned version of the term, um, to be able to be ordained in one of the fanciest cathedrals in the world is such a, a beautiful luxury, and, and a particular luxury when the whole world is watching. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon Megan Marie to empower and enlighten their ministry as a bishop in your church. Uphold them as a faithful steward of your holy word and life-giving sacraments and a strong sign of reconciliation among all people. People of God, I present to you your new bishop, the Reverend Dr. Megan Rohr. Do you feel sometimes that you're a potential target, being you know the first transgender bishop of a major denomination? The interesting thing is I've had a lot of kind of attention worldwide. I've had actually less death threats than when I was just a regular pastor so far. May that always be the case. But we know that trans bodies are bodies that experience more violence than others. So when even, even when I say like I've had less threats than normal, I still have to look up if I can go to the bathroom everywhere that I travel for my bishop meetings. I have to travel with a binder um, to see if... CPS in a different state might want to take my child away if um, we go to just like get a Band-Aid at a doctor's office. Um, we have to check if I will be treated by like the emergency facilities in a space if the laws say that they don't have to care for me uh, medically if I'm in a particular state. And bishops uh, in the Lutheran Church travel to other countries because we're kind of ambassadors um, of support and have, have sister synods in other spaces. Like one of the first things I had to do after I was elected is look up if any of our sister synods are in countries where I could be executed just for being wow. a transgender person, which is not the normal bishop experience. Um, so I, I should say not. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I did wear a bulletproof vest during my installation. There were um, some of San Francisco's finest there to protect me that day. You can decide if you think they were there because there was a risk, or if it's because they love their beloved chaplain. Maybe it's a little bit of both. There's a lot of times when I'm willing to act up and be someone who's historically in the front and, and have some of that danger. But if I'm going to be harmed, uh, I don't want it to be at a service where my grandma's watching and my kids are there. And so, you know, the amount of safety and care that I have these days is because I think you know, it's about more than just me. It's a lot of people who are rooting for me. And so I don't want to be a martyr on the martyr list. I'd rather be a boring bishop uh, having meetings no one cares about, right? <laughs> okay, very good. During your installation, you were quoted as saying, my call is to be up to the same messy, loving things I was up to before. But mostly, if you'll let me, and I think you will, my hope is to love you and beyond that, to love what you love. So tell us, what are some of the messy, loving things that you hope to continue doing while bishop? Yeah, eating with the poor and the homeless. Um, it's sometimes like 
showing up to help paint the building because somebody needs volunteers to do it. And if I'm the youngest person in the community, let's show up and do it. Um, it's washing a lot of dishes because having community parties is important. It's, um, it's showing up when there's community grief and caring for first responders, even the midst, even being someone who is at the front of a protest march for people I'm protesting against people, I also am a chaplain for, right? Some of those, that, that thing that, that maybe is a uniquely Lutheran way of being able to love folk in the, in the world. We think points don't matter, that God loves you no matter what, and we don't have to keep score. And so that means that I can love folk, other people might be uncomfortable knowing that I love. And it also means that I can um, celebrate and proudly, you know, march with pride down Market Street on other days. And so I get to show up at a lot more events because Lutherans are trying to show up and love as many people as possible. And so I think that's part of it. I also think part of it is like, I've been, a, I've been a bishop now officially for three and a half months, and I've put over 7,000 miles on my car uh, because the geography of the area that I'm the bishop for is, you know, the top half of California and the top half of Nevada, and that's a large span of people to just, you know, it's a lot of bugs on the windshield to drive all of those miles. And so there are just parts of it where you just go through the car wash and head on to the next place and try to love them too. Um, lately, because I've been driving so much to different congregations, it's been a real treat to um, teach my kids like the best food to order at different kinds of fast food restaurants. Like I got to teach them how to dip their fries in a Wendy's chocolate shake right? <laughs> or watch them have a root beer float for the first time. And so it's been really lovely to kind of drive all over our our geography of the Sierra Pacific Synod and you can kind of bribe your kids into being really nice at church if they then get to have some sort of like really cool fast food encounter afterwards. So that's been a, <laughs> a, a very fun thing for our family. You have this video uh, that you did for Cosmopolitan magazine and, and it, you say, as I became queerer, I also became more faithful. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think because there's something about embracing and loving yourself that makes it possible for you to love the world better and maybe to love God better. And I think before I was able to kind of fully love all of the aspects of who I was, my imagination of God was much smaller, right? And so to be able to imagine my own ability to be diverse and to be um, in a really diverse world. Like you just start noticing so many more varieties of human beings on the planet when you start kind of exploring all the ways that you want to identify yourself. And for me, I think being stretched and noticing like how much bigger God's creation was than just folk who think like you or act like you or have skin tone like you. I think it's such a lovely way to notice that God's up to more than we might have imagined at any given moment. And so I, I hope that's what I am for folk is if they're like, what? A transgender bishop? I hope that their imagination stretches a little wider to be like, okay, God's up to some stuff. I wonder what it's about, right? Mm -hmm. You've done a lot of interviews. Are there things that you've wanted to talk about or things you wish you'd been asked that you haven't been? In which case, you know, now's your chance. <laughs> 
the higher you kind of are in a job, you get more of the like discipline parts of the job or some of the, the confidential yucky conversations that you can only talk about in confession or with a therapist. And so I think that's a strange part of being a bishop that most people don't know about. Like if there is ever an instance of misconduct, um, I provide pastoral care to every single person who has been hurt by a pastor in our region just because they deserve that kind of care and and um, I'm the person to follow through to make sure that that kind of spiritual trauma stops happening and doesn't happen into the future. And so there's a lot of ways that caring for congregations in, in really confidential ways that people might not even know exist is some of the most sacred work that can be done. And so um, sometimes that means hanging out and listening to how much people love their quilting for 40 minutes at a time. And other times that means um, hearing the deep sadness of pastors because they've done 25 funerals this month um, because it's been a real hard time during this pandemic. Indeed, it has been. Well, one last question I want to ask you to sort of sum up here, I guess. You've now made history. What do you see as the significance of this event, being the first transgender bishop of any major church Christian denomination in the USA? I would think the ordinary bishops have stuff that they need to accomplish. Like just by existing, something has been accomplished, right? And it really takes a weight off when you take on a really big impossible job um, to know that you accomplish something just by existing. Um, and so I'm, I think I'm probably going to lean into that for a little while. Um, but I also think that the good news is that hopefully if, if a trans person can be a bishop, then it means there's no body, like literally no type of body that can't be a faithful person, can't be a leader in the church, can't be someone who prays in the pews or receives communion at our altar. And so if there is a way that I can continue to support folk of full diversity to preach and teach or just, you know, look for a place out of the sun to meditate, then that's the kind of thing I want to be up to. Fantastic. Anything you'd like to add? If someone has lied to you and told you that God can't love you because of your gender, or your sexuality, then I want to apologize and spend the rest of my career telling you the exact opposite. God loves you and you can't change it. No ruckus in the sanctuary, no nonsense on the news uh, can ever take that away. That was Bishop Megan Rohr of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America's Sierra Pacific Synod, speaking with Eric Jansen of Out in the Bay Queer Radio from San Francisco, outinthebay.org. Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from John Frame, John Dyer V, and Eric Jansen, Romanovsky and Phillips, Carl Bean, Joe Jackson, Marcia Stevens, and the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus and the Transcendence Gospel Choir performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors Jed Proctor and Brian Burns, and Richard Merkin 
Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. From coordinating producers Greg Gordon and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on KGAY, Thousand Palms, Palm Springs, California, WCRS Columbus, Ohio, Fresh FM, Nelson Blenheim, Eastern Golden Bay, New Zealand, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.